0: Welcome to Crossing Faiths, where Christian and Muslim talk religion and possums. I'm Elliot. I'm here with John Pinna. Today we're featuring an interview from the International Religious Freedom Summit with the Reverend Dr. Andrew Bennett. Andrew Bennett is the Director of Cardus Faith Communities at Cardus, Canada's faith-based think tank. He also serves as Senior Fellow at the Washington, D.C.-based Religious Freedom Institute. So this interview is between John and Father Andrew, and uh, we'll listen to it now and then uh, share a few thoughts afterwards.
1: Welcome to Crossing Phase. We're doing our, our field uh, journey to the Earth Summit, and I'm sitting here with a very, very close friend and, and colleague, long standing now.
2: Yeah, that's right. Uh,
1: F- uh, Father Angel Bennett, who is. Uh, a fellow at Religious Freedom Institute. And then your organization is CARDIS. CARDIS. Right. So uh, tell us a little
2: bit about what you do at CARDIS. So at CARDIS, yeah. CARDIS is Canada's only faith-based think tank. And we're a Christian think tank, nonpartisan. And what we do is we look through the lens of 2,000 years of Christian thought to understand the nature of their common life. And so we do that through research, through publications, uh, through networking, and through indirect forms of advocacy. And I direct our faith communities program and the research component of that is research on religious freedom, on conscience rights. And when I say religious freedom, we have to remember that religious freedom is fundamentally about the freedom to live out of public faith. We're always free in our inner lives of faith. So that's important, but really religious freedom is to live out of public faith. And one of the challenges I think we face now in Western democracies is this amnesia around how religion is a public good. And people who are religious, people that have some sort of belief system, have an inherent freedom to live that out in their public lives. So we do a lot of research on that. We do work on conscience rights. A lot of the work right now on conscience rights is connected with our Cardis Health Program on euthanasia and assisted suicide in Canada, which is a very serious situation. Um, So I do that work. And then I also work with uh, young Christian professionals. We run a program called Communio. Which is a program in public theology. We help to form them so they can live out that public faith. We mentor them. Uh, we give them uh, some opportunities for retreats. Then I also do a lot of work with with mainly Christian and Jewish, um, mainly Christian and Jewish leaders, some Latter Day Saint leaders across the country, trying to bring them together to engage with the work that we're doing, to have conversations about what is the, the nature of faith in our society, and we also work. Uh, very actively with the Angus Reid Institute, which is kind of the gallant of Canada. Right. And for the last uh, seven years, we've been doing surveys with them Mm. uh, on a whole range of questions around faith, and how do Canadians engage with faith. And we just did a major survey involving about a sample size around 4,000 on sacred texts. How do Canadians of the Christian, Jewish, and Muslim traditions engage with their particular sacred text? Mm. Um, And then we sort of drilled that down and looked at canadian christians in the bindle very revelatory <laughs> survey um and now we're doing a canadian version of lincoln year ministries state of theology study and that's coming that's going to be coming out fairly soon this spring and then i'm i'm meeting with religious leaders all the time just having conversations with them so it's uh it's a wonderful wonderful role right on i, I appreciate you you know giving clarity because
1: i you know I treat you do like a UFO sighting. I know something's going on, but I can't really explain it. So, so I and I know you do faith engagement, and I know you're, you we we had chatted about you coming onto the the podcast, and so I appreciate you coming in, you know, on this moment. And uh, but you're you're a you're,
2: a, you're a Catholic, Catholic priest, deacon. You're a Catholic, deacon. Yeah. So I'm Ukrainian Greek Catholic. So okay. I'm so, I'm an Orthodox Christian. Yeah. So unpack that. Yeah. You because know, there's a, the Orthodox, you're an Orthodox Christian. Yes. Catholic. That's right so in the in the catholic church there's roughly one point let's say 1.2 more or less billion catholics in the world the vast majority are catholics that are uh, uh, of the latin Rite, so they are roman catholics and um then there are 22 23 churches depending how you count them eastern churches that follow different rites. so the largest of uh, that collection of churches within the 22, is, are the Church of the Byzantine Rite. So this is the same rite that all Eastern Orthodox churches follow. Uh, so our mother church is not Rome, it's Constantinople. Okay. And so our church, the Ukrainian... Bartholomew. That's right. Uh, well, but not Bartholomew. We're in communion with him. Right, right, that's right. Yeah, okay. there's still the schism. But we, our church, uh, we're the Ukrainian Greco-Catholic Church and the okay. Ukrainian Greek Catholic Church. We're the largest of all the 22 Eastern churches in communion with Rome. Okay. So in 1596, uh, the church in what was called then the Kievan Metropolia, which roughly approximates large chunks of today's Ukraine, Belarus, um, came back into communion with Rome. Um, And that was as a result of a whole range of issues, but- um, Leavening of the host. Ah, uh, yeah, that's right. It was a big one. Yeah, that was, yeah, we don't. The filioque? The filioque. Yeah, so we don't have the filioque, okay. the creed. Uh, we have we have uh, fully leavened uh, <laughs> bread that we use in, in the Holy Eucharist. Um, as one of my professors who taught uh, Byzantine Eucharistic uh, liturgies as a course, he said, well, if we're receiving the risen Christ, he should be risen. Right. Okay. It makes, yeah, yeah. it makes sense. Yeah, it makes sense. Um, yeah, so I'm I'm a deacon in the Ukrainian uh, Catholic Church for the Eparchy of Toronto in Eastern Canada, and I serve at our church's national shrine in Ottawa, St. John the Baptist. So I'm the deacon there. Wow. Okay, that's a
1: lot. It's, it's you know it's it's uh, I think when when in twins
2: bread is good when you're trans, transubstantiation when when you're yeah the, you the, know, the, the Latins will use that you know, we, you know, so. we we believe in the real presence absolutely at right. Eucharist but we don't. Um, sort of and as neatly package it as 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 our latin brothers and sisters do okay right on right on i just wanted to be, else? pull it out of chat. Sir, sir, sir. so um so here's the thing we're at the earth summit
1: you were the first uh you we, we established um we were there when when you established USurf, the the, the canadian usurf
2: it was a canadian uh
1: earth office actually. our earth office sorry earth office yeah. and you were the first earth ambassador that's right first um, and only the first and only and uh and so that's where our history comes from, right. a little bit. And so um, the, the, you were the first and only, and they, they shut that office
2: down. Why? Because they did not believe in focusing on religious freedom. Um, and so what they did is they, they did a bit of an interesting sort of dance. Uh, they, they basically, my mandate had concluded. So my appointment had concluded. Right. And they chose not to renew it, and that's fine. Um, but then they shut down the office of religious freedom and instead folded it into the office of human rights, freedoms and inclusion, mm. which was everything and nothing. Right. So they, the liberal government felt that they could not speak about religious freedom, qua religious freedom, it had to be religious freedom and gender ideology, religious freedom and 2SLGBTQA++ rights, right. religious freedom. And so they, they didn't want to really touch religion. Which of course which is common when governments?
1: It's very, very common. You know, it's like you know, if we don't, there could be an issue, and if it becomes religious, a, bit, bit, a lot of a lot of uh, careers, you know, in governments around the world will pull away from that. That's right. Uh, or, and as opposed to to pressing the issue to figure out, let's fi- let's make sure that we bring people that understand faith in to unpack the issue, so we can mitigate what happens.
2: That's right. That's right. And, and you know, it'll it, meddle at all, but observed this in her in her you know autobiography where she talked about. There's one thing I could have had when I was Secretary of State, I would have wanted an advisor on religious matters. Because let's face it, and I've been saying this for years, as, as I know you have and others, you know, we live in a highly secularized society. And in Canada, I would say a secularist society. We have an established religion in Canada, it's secularism. And it has its own creeds, its own rituals, its own beliefs. But most of the world is deeply religious. You know, and and religion, whether it's Christianity or Islam or Buddhism or Hinduism, it's not just some sort of cultural reality. It's not just some sort of historic relic. It infuses all aspects of life, political life, social, cultural, you know, economic. Um, And so if you're engaged in foreign policy, you better get that. You got to get religion. (laughs) You better get religion. Otherwise, you're not going to be able to have conversations with a lot of these people that are very influential in these, in these societies. I remember one uh former colleague of mine who was a, a senior Canadian diplomat had been an ambassador in a country in, in South Asia. And uh they then moved to another country in South Asia. And they came to see me because we'd had some projects running uh under the Officer of Religion Stream <coughs> in the country where this this ambassador was now placed. And um they came to my office and reported on how the programs are going. I said, great, thanks for the report. And then they said, oh, you know, I, I met with the bishop of this city. I said, oh, was that the Anglican bishop or the Catholic bishop? Right. And this very seasoned diplomat said, oh, I have no idea. I'm an agnostic. I, I don't know about that. Right. And, and she didn't see the problem with that. That would be like me being the bishop of that city and saying, oh, I met with your minister. Oh, was that the foreign minister? Was that the trade minister? Was that the minister of international right. development? Oh, I don't know. I don't have a political science degree. Right. You think the man was a bit stupid? Yeah. But there's this kind of willful ignorance about religion because religion is complicated. It's icky. It's it doesn't fit in with a certain secular liberal view. But too bad because the world is religious. <laughs> so you gotta you gotta understand that. Well, it's it's it's
1: one of those things where the mm. you know, problem is is that we you have people of faith. It's an uncomfortable space, right? We're we're here at the Earth Summit as inensible strengths and weaknesses, right? So the Earth will But this is the biggest gathering of faith communities. I don't know if it's in the world, but certainly happening right now and certainly one of them. Yes. And so everybody's coming here with differences. I mean, we've got evangelicals from all walks of life. We've got um, all kinds of, uh, all the of, the of the Christian faith, the Muslim faith, everybody's here. And, uh, and so we're all kind of, Despite our differences, communicating, talking, not just exchanging mm-hmm. cards, coordinating. And so one of the things I wanted to kind of ask is like, okay, we start with the Earth office, right, in Canada. But you're still in the game. Yes. Um, and so you have cards that you're a part of. Um, and then I know you're, you're a fellow at RFI, still probably the yes. Institute. But you're here in the Earth Summit. Um, one of the biggest things about the roundtable was to get the ministerial, have the ministerial happen. And then this is an appendage of that or a birth out of that. Right. So from your when you held office to now the evolution of your work as a result of some of the, the bigotry that we're talking about towards religion, but on top of that, how do you how do you affect it? positive change and and so that you can
2: have wins? What are the wins and what do they look like? Mm. Yes. Yeah, so, I mean, much of my focus is now, now is on domestic religious freedom in Canada and more broadly within North America. And that's the, the workshop panel that I'm speaking on is looking at, at religious freedom in Western democracies. And in Western democracies, and Canada in particular, Canada is one of the most secularized you know, places on the earth. Um, we have a twin problem. And I talked about amnesia before. So there's amnesia on the part of our uh, elites, our political elites but also business elites, media elites, arts elites around what is religion and what role does it play within society, what, does role, what role does it play in people's lives and how does that, them, that affect how they you know, integrate into society and engage with society. But then the other amnesia is one that we don't talk often enough about and that is the amnesia within our own faith communities, in particular among Christians. Christians in many cases uh, have even those who are very faithful have kind of accepted this, this kind of modernist lie that religion is a private matter. Mm. And so it's what I do in the comfortable pew, maybe what I do at home. But as soon as I go out into the world and I'm engaging, you know, with people in my work or in my social circles or politically or whatever, I, I take my religion off and I put it in a little box right. by, by the front door. And then I go out into the world, Sure. So, and that's not authentic. And so one of the challenges that we have, I think, is first of all, you've got to engage both sides of the amnesia, both hemispheres, let's say. So you've got to meet with with leaders, with elites and talk about, here's what religious people do and why they do it. So let's take the, the pandemic as an example. When they began to impose some very, very strict lockdowns in Canada, um religious communities were affected disproportionately sure yeah it happened here yeah and in some in some jurisdictions such as quebec and and british columbia places of worship were totally shut down for months and months and months at a time but you could go to the liquor store you would go to the cannabis dispensary right go to the big box store but god forbid you have 10 people gathering in a massive cathedral and part of the problem there it wasn't necessarily malicious i think in the case of quebec it was actually malicious but that's another story But in many of these jurisdictions, the public health officials, they, you get this message, oh, we really like what you do, but you can't have public worship because it's too much of a risk. We need to be safe, the God of safe, the new idolatry. And so what happens was these public health officials were not acting religiously. They were just profoundly ignorant about how, when religious people do things like refugee resettlement, in from the cold programs, soup kitchens, literacy programs, whatever, it's informed by their worship. Sure. So, and that's the only time you got everybody gathered. Exactly. To either have a consensus, get some
1: cash, Yeah, you <laughs> it. and then also motivate, mo- motivate and, and
2: recruit volunteers to actually put faith in motion. That's right. Right. And if people don't have the freedom to worship publicly and to, and to be fully themselves, we're, we're fully ourselves when we worship, right? And so if they don't have that freedom then it's going to all just kind of start to fall apart and all the things that you like religious people are doing in the local community will not work as well right and so that so that's that has to be addressed and so we've done a lot of that work in carters we've met with uh, public health officials provincial officials uh on how in in an event of another sort of shutdown another pandemic or something like that how do you do it right and so we've we've got some policy papers we've developed for that that we've circulated around but then on the other side we have to educate our own faithful about, okay, how do you actually speak about your faith publicly? Right. How do you engage publicly? Um, don't, don't hide it under a bushel. You know, you light under a bushel, you know, actually live it out, not just for your own good, not just for the good of your particular faith community, but for the life of the world, as brother Alexander Schmemann, you know, great Orthodox theologian would say. So that's, that's, I think the winds come when we do those twin things, we engage leaders on what religion is and why works people do what they do and why that needs to be protected. And then on, for religious people, how, yes, okay, you've got a fundamental freedom to religious freedom, an uh, inalienable right. we got to exercise it. There's a responsibility that comes with that right. And and, and, and you know, also on a basic level,
1: if you're a part of faith community, you get comfort from that. Yeah, so being part of the community, being part of the theology, and or theology in, in a thoughtful way for yourself and your community is is part of the stewardship of not only your, your personal health, right, mm. mental and, and, and physical health, but also your communities and then those, you know, the, the, the Samaritan rule, everybody else outside, right? Yes. So, you know, it's like, you know, there's this outwardness, you know, everybody makes fun of my Dolby, right, so that I wear, and I always do that for solidarity with, you know, my Muslim sisters, but also serving something larger than myself. But the other thing is there's an outward, people know that I'm, I'm, I'm Muslim. Right? Yes. And so that projection is something that's a big part of who I am. Mm-hmm. But the but the challenge is, is that you're right. There's a, there's this idea of you, you hang your hat up when you get home. You don't come. Uh, um, I was just talking on the way back on yesterday. I go, you know, I, I goes well. How come you don't dress in your my colleague goes. How come you don't dress in in your in your Muslim clothes? And I go and, <laughs> and I go. Well, I go, I go. If I could, I would every day. But there's only so much you could do. Yes, you know, sure. and uh, and you still need to engage with a suit and a tie and some of the stuff you need to do. Um, but it's it's such an important part of identity and how much people sacrifice. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh and, and and sort of it bleeds away uh, at at confidence, um, um, engagement in your community mm-hmm. and then it also changes the way you think. Sure. Yeah. So um and then the pandemic had a big part of that. Um so I, I was part of the attack kind of at test worse and where when faith from faith side, not medical. Yes. And it was very, very hard to arbitrate on issues and how we you know, the drive through churches, we were doing all kinds of <laughs> things, and it was so difficult for people to figure out. Like People were, had major anxiety because they were part of their community. You know, so it's like identity, community, and theology. You know, that's how I say is. They, and they, they, they were cut off from,
2: they had their identity, but it was starting to shrink. Well, all of a sudden, you know, government used fear, and public health officials used fear to control social behavior and public behavior. And that began to have an impact on how people engaged their own faith. Yeah. And one of the worst things that churches did, and I'm going to get ridiculed for this probably, was to have live stream, was to live stream religious services. And uh, it, it begins to embed within people something that I think a lot of Christians in particular already kind of implicitly saw, is that somehow when I go to church on Sunday, it's kind of like entertainment. Right. You know, father's up there or pastor John is up there doing the thing. Yeah. And I watch him. Yeah. And you're cooking so, and you're, you're silky. You know, you, but, even, you're, but even in person yeah, when you're there, yeah. you're kind of watching him. Right. And then, okay, now I'm watching him on the screen at home in my jammies with a coffee. Well, that's, that's not worship. In yeah. Then it actually does become some disorder type of entertainment so it fetishizes religion it does in a sense yeah you could put it that way and, and it just it, it dehumanizes right uh engagement with people and uh i was chatting with one one young person a while ago and i said you know which church do you go to oh i i just i just watch live stream i watch this church down in i don't assume Texas or something hmm. And i said but you live in ottawa right why are you going to church here in ottawa well i don't really like my church right I said, well, you got to understand that the people, you don't have to like everybody in your church, but all those people are your brothers and sisters in Christ and okay, you don't like the guy that, you know, smells of cabbage. You don't like the family with the six kids that are constantly screaming or the the lonely widow who wants to chat your ear off. Meanwhile, you're racing off to brunch. Yeah. Those people are there for you and you have to be there for them. Right. The community aspect
1: of yeah. church and, and worship. Yeah, yeah. It's one of the good things that came out in the Muslim community was a lot of, so in, in on the Shia side, there's it's called Zacharias, they sort of female imams. Okay. And there was a lot of female imams that shake us there, in, on, I think on the Sunset, that were, were were were, gone into the public space. That was one of the good things that happened, mm-hmm. you know, because you got this different perspective of yep. worship and faith. And it was a lot of cool stuff that happened. Um, like that little, but it's cottage, you know, because you're still not engaging. You're still not with your community. You're still not slotting out. Um, but uh, so it was an all band, But but when our, in, the, in our communities, that was one of the, the big positive things. It was an empowerment element. And now there's a whole conversation about the role of women in Islam. Um, that's, that's 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 evolved um, out of that element, which is pretty cool, you know. So, um, but now we're here. Yes, Earth Summit you know and and you kind of walked us through since your office and what's going on here where we've talked a little bit about it um on some of the other podcasts and we I did a couple on the way up uh to the to the, to the dates at the summit what you know what's what's to so you how is this are you here as a representative I know you're here as a representative call this I know you're here as a representative of the church mm-hmm. but what is it that, what's what is it that you're looking to do here like what, what is besides you know connect and Sure. Yeah. Maybe maybe have a bobble later.
2: That's right. Yeah. Well, I mean, I'm here really on behalf of Curtis, and then with my my RFI connection, I'm not officially representing our church in any respect. Um, I mean, I'm I've got a collar right now, so I mean, yes, people see me and they ask who I am. Um, but <clears throat> you know, uh, the Earth Summit for me is just a wonderful opportunity to meet new people and to meet old friends and to connect and to maintain those networks because I've done more. I'm <laughs> doing. more and more domestic work, domestic-focused work, I've sort of lost some of those close connections with the kind of the IRF community. Um, So, you know, for example, I was just coming in here to to meet with you, and I saw my good friend, uh, His Eminence, Archbishop Angelos from London, the Compton Archbishop uh, in England and Wales. And um, so, you know, it was was just wonderful to see him, a wonderful surprise. So, you know, as a Christian, I believe that uh, there's no chance, there's no fate, there's no luck. it's all God's providence and I chose to come to this summit and other people did and we're going to find opportunities to engage with one another and who knows where that can lead. So I, I just make a point John of seizing opportunities to be with people who are involved in similar work to what I do and to, and to hear from them to learn from them. Um, I might take in a plenary session right but I, I, this is more important to me it's the mingling, it's the side conversations. You know, I'm giving. I'm part of a panel uh, conversation about religious freedom in Western democracies, which I think will be really interesting. Um, but more for me, it's just coming here and, and being with people and chatting with people and reconnecting. And then I, I, you know, I appreciate taking
1: the time. I wanted to kind of end with this. And one, one question. And I know you're dealing with a lot in Canada. Yes, one of the issues here is anti-Semitism as a result of the, the, what's going on in, after October 7th, and that's something that. It, it, it's a subject that you're dealing with. We talked, chatted, chatted a little bit about that, mm. and I did, um, before we we started recording. Do you want to unpack a little bit about that? What's happening in, in country? Yeah, sure. You know, it I know it's important to you. Yesterday, I was a little bit nervous after we. I said, "I'll see you tomorrow," and you, you know, I was like, and then I had to check in with
2: you this morning. you yeah. like, "Are you okay? Hey, what's going on?" Oh yeah, yeah. I, yeah no, I mean the, the situation in Canada. Uh, I mean, it's a similar trend what we see in the states. Uh, over not even not just since October seventh, but for years now, there's been a significant increase in anti-Semitic, um, you know, activity. Let's say so whether that's whether that's physical violence against Jews, whether it's targeting Jewish institutions, whether it's harassment, whatever it might be. But now with the uh, the massacre perpetrated by Hamas on October seventh in, uh, in in Israel, we're now seeing exposed. The true nature of 21st century anti-Semitism, and in Canada, it is this: it is it is aided and abetted by um, a woke progressivism, cultural Marxism, neo-Marxism, whatever you want to call it, that is twisting things so profoundly, accusing, you know, Israel of perpetrating genocide, accusing Israel of being behind all of this, and so. It becomes all about who has the more effective narrative even if the narrative is patently false and filled with lies and so that's what's going on and young people in canada are are, especially universities it's like here in the states the universities in canada have a broad sort of anti-semitic tinge to them well we saw it with the testimonies here in college exactly where it's like there's no one wanted to 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 say
1: we're going to address uh, bullying, for example, and 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 they, and inciting violence on college campuses. Yeah. You know, with all those presidents, they were kind of you know sidestepping. And then they, yeah. the <laughs> it was the president of Harvard that they it was they got on on uh, plagiarism plagiarism, but, yeah. but not but not but not any semitism not, not being a bigot. No, <laughs> no that's <laughs> it. And so it's 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 so peculiar because if any of us had said anything like that, we would be you know, hung out to dry one yeah. way or another. Yeah. Um, you know, I I I said it before that you know. You, you can't vote a doomsday cult into office and expect them to arbitrate appropriately yeah. once they had the seat of government, which is Hamas, right? Yeah. And then you can't exact uh, or operationalize uh, killing civilians, yeah, uh, wholesale killing civilians, like October seventh, and then not expect sure something to happen, yeah. Uh, and and so, um, like it, you know, Israel has the right to self determination, uh, and but there ha- and there, there has to be some. You have to You have to there has there has to be some kind of operational rules on how you work your government appropriately, sure. to engage that's to right come up with a solution yeah and so i, I think there's the, the the um the rise in anti-Semitism here domestically and 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 globally um I know a lot of people are, don't know what to do with the illegi Israel Palestine issue Sure. you know sure when I was at the American Islamic Congress we always used to say everything that's needed to be said has been said, someone needs to make a decision
2: yeah that
1: used to be our stance because if you get too involved in it. <laughs> But now it's in, it's on everybody's dining table. Yeah. So so what do you, what's going so what's so what, you know what, what are you doing to address this
2: like what in your country what's happening right now? Well, I mean, the the, the main thing that I'm trying to do is trying to get Christians engaged on the question of anti-Semitism, and uh, I'm starting with my own my own uh, you know broader sort of Catholic community. I'm um, trying to get Catholics to meet Jews. Mm. To get to know who Jews are, why they're concerned about what's going on, what what sort of existential threat anti-Semitism is to them. Um, I've done some work with some Catholic bishops, getting them to uh, you know engage on this issue. We had a the auxiliary bishop of Ottawa, Cornwall, join myself and some other uh, Catholic laity to go to um, the the largest modern Orthodox synagogue in Ottawa for Kabbalah Shabbat on on Friday night, their service, and then we came in uh, from that and they had a dinner, <clears throat> a dinner sort of solidarity with the hostages, solidarity with Israel, because they're members of that community in Ottawa who had relatives that were affected by what happened on October 7th. And it was amazing, John, you know, that evening, and I, the rabbi and I are very good friends. We've been friends for a long time. We had this table of Catholics sitting there, and he got up and spoke and he talked about, you know, in Ecclesiastes, you know, there's a time to mourn, there's a time to weep, there's also a time for rejoicing. And he said, sometimes we hold these things in tension. And he said, so we weep over what has happened. We weep over the hostages. But we rejoice because of table 20. Right. And everybody sort of looked at us. And here we have our good friend, uh, Father Deacon Andrew Bennett, uh, His His Excellency Bishop Yvonne Mathieu, auxiliary bishop of Ottawa Cornwall, the Kennedy family, and these other Catholics who, of their own volition, came here to be with us. I see. Yeah. two minutes standing ovation. People coming up to us, weeping, right. saying we didn't know if anyone cared. We hadn't heard too many Christians, and so you being here with us gives us greater hope. And this is being played out in all sorts of synagogues across the country. And so you know, I always I always try to emphasize. You know, it's 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 very clear, and it has been since the Second Vatican Council, um, that for Catholics we understand ourselves as Spiritual Semites, right. you know we have been grafted, we're the Church of the Gentiles, we've been grafted onto the Tree of Israel, and so we have a responsibility to stand with our Jewish elder cousins, right um, And so at anti-Semitism, it's not just about Jews, it's about a rot within right. our society, and anti-semi- when anti-Semitism grows, it betokens a very deep rot, and so we need to deal with this. And um, you know there are lots of Jewish groups that are doing excellent work in Canada, engaging with this Bene B'rith, the Friends of the Simon Wiesenthal Center, Center for Civil Jewish Affairs. But we need Gentiles, non-Jews, to organize and to speak out. I had to do something. It can't be the Jews' burden alone. And so that's that's where my head is at, and my heart is at right now. I get, like you said yesterday, I saw you, and I, I like I said before the podcast, I was like, Are you okay? <laughs> but I
1: appreciate taking the time. It means a lot for you to, uh, you know, I know that to bump out of the schedule and to, to speak thoughtfully about, um, you know, who you are, what you're doing, and,
0: and where we're going. Thanks, John. Appreciate to see you. Thanks so much. So, John, why don't you tell me a little bit about your background with Father Andrew, and uh, we'll talk about some of the topics discussed in the interview. Andrew Penn
1: and I met... Um, long time ago he was the first um earth ambassador or first and only earth ambassador for the canadian government uh you know we spoke about it in the interview i actually i was talking on the commissioner so i actually said that he was a commissioner but he wasn't um he he was so we helped uh meaning the u.s government assisted in opening up the in, the, the International Justice Freedom Office at their equivalent to the Department of State and, and God, it, I want to say 2011? 2000 2000 I don't know it was, it was it was early it was uh 2009 10 or 11 somewhere they are, their house and uh and so and then drew Bennett uh, father Bennett uh, was uh was their first appointee uh and only they they closed the office down and uh Not because of anything that happened in the RF office, but there's this, there's always been this challenge of whether or not international religious freedom, it should be separate or it should be integrated into human rights. And that's an ongoing debate. Uh, I think the middle of the road people feel that there's sort of, so like the Eleanor Roosevelt crew are, uh, feel like, you know, the, the UDHR, the Universal Declaration of Human Rights has religious freedom in uh as part of of the larger whole mm-hmm. and i think that logic is probably sound yeah um but the challenge with that is that re- when it comes if, if it's a founding principle like in america uh then that has its own sort of special exemptions and then there's also these nuances like so Religious freedom is the freedom to believe, to not believe, to change, and choose. Proselytizing has always been on the outside of that, and in, 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 and been uh, uh, more of a, a freedom of speech issue, right? Yeah. So, <clears throat> so you once you get into the nuances <clears throat> of integrating it into human rights, you could say that proselytizing, like the ability to tell people the good news, um. Is is a is a different type of freedom. Although those that see salvation as get as gaining souls and not being good people and not doing anything else in their faith.
0: For those who are listening, which is everyone, John is making a face that's sort of cringe. I would describe it as right. Yeah, yeah, I've, and absolutely uh, the. I believe the separation needs to be there yeah, okay, so <clears throat> when it comes to human rights so so
1: so yeah, but we're not going down that rabbit hole uh, you know, as evangelical, you have to know by you know let's go what you're what you're witnessing um and I'm not going to know what I'm witnessing um, so um so the the challenge is this is that um but the so that's like the middle of the road is like the vHR Eleanor Roosevelt crew. <clears throat> and then you get to the the, the 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 what you know we would call the right in in pejorative terms would say uh, that r- r- religious freedom needs to be separate and continuously needs to be cultivated in in a in a way in which speaks to whichever narrative the crew that's on the right is is it comes from. So, <clears throat> religious freedom is great. Uh, everybody should be religious. It should should participate in religious freedom. It should be not only a right, but it should be codified. And then from there, uh, just so you know, religious freedom comes from our background, and we need to steward it, right? And I'm not saying any, you know, specifically not stating any particular group. But that's gender with right sets. So we need to steward it for every all the other faiths. Mm. Okay. And it will include this and won't include that. And by the way, it means this. And by the way, it doesn't mean that. And by the way. So so that's a that's the far right. But the far left, <clears throat> which is kind of what we're talking about, wants to take religious freedom and water it down. Um and, and we would say, you know, go left. And then how do you go farther to the left? You go into like sort of this woke agenda. So it's it needs to be religious freedom needs to be um, uh, needs to mean uh identity politics and religion really isn't the issue it's really identity politics it's really about protecting identity politics and so let me give you an example of that so there's there's 50 million dollars in funding uh, for international religious freedom in America um there's roughly about... Uh, that's that's from an executive order, and there's roughly about three hundred million dollars, maybe four hundred million dollars, in various bureaus and and agencies all over the all over the United States. So uh, the United States government. So like DRL, Democracy, Human Rights, and Labor has a little bump of money. Conflict Stabilization Operations, the Bureau of Conflict Stabilization has a little bit of money. Um, um, uh, the Earth Office has a little bit of money. State Department has under their Religion and and Cooperation Department. So. All these, there's, there's sort of liberals. These little pots of money all over that aggregate into about four, three and a half, three to four hundred million (laughs) dollars. And if you don't care about religion, you want to get that money and use it for your agenda. So, in the Biden administration, one of the things that's happened is is they, they've taken, they said all programs need to focus on LGBTQ AI plus communities. Yeah, it's not about protecting religion, freedom of beliefs or are a religious freedom, the freedom to believe, that not believe, change, and choose. It's we need to protect these groups so, from religious people. Yeah. Which is different than religious freedom. Uh-huh. So I'm not saying that LGBTQ, AI plus don't need to be protected because everyone <laughs> everyone's rights should be. But <clears throat> When you start taking funds from its intended purpose that was agreed for by Congress that the American people have, have 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 agreed upon, and they're thinking that we are preserving religious freedom, which is a founding principle of our country, right? <clears throat> you know, tied back to the to the Declaration of Independence, like life, liberty, pursuit, episode, that sort of thing, then then what you're doing is something you're 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 laundering money right um and so for your own cause and so because you don't want to um plead the case in, in an open forum so what you do is you your money that's already that's already been uh allocated and then you look at, and then you 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 get a friend of yours in that department to to agree to writing in some of this stuff and then what ends up happening is the money gets funneled towards a program that has nothing to do with religious freedom, which is one of the reasons why religious persecution is on the rise, right? So, um, and I can speak directly to how this happened. When I was at the American Islamic Congress, towards the end of my tenure there, we could get funding for LGBTQAI people in Iraq but we couldn't get funding for religious freedom programming. Mm. So what would happen is, is we would end up getting $5 million for, for in, the, in this case, it was about seven to 10 people that were spending time online in a basement somewhere in Iraq, saying that they were persecuted for their sexual beliefs. But we couldn't get that $5 million for religious freedom programming, which would might may include the ability, the ability for these individuals to not be persecuted on the basis of faith. Right. So you have this sort of impending doom because faith communities want to. So what would you do for $5 million, $5 million for 10 people? But we could like that was. Uh, I-, I was able to secure those funds in like five days mm. by crapping out a proposal. And a budget and then and then aggregate those funds and and it was a highly celebrated program but i'm not sure that the funds were used for, this funds were certainly not used for the intended purpose um and there was a lot of waste um and essentially there was a community center built for these for these individuals um that ended up getting um becoming a and it wasn't well thought out because that that center ended up getting uh, savage by ISIS back in, in the, you know when when they took over you know it's like there's a one stop shop for persecution yeah um of yeah of people that you probably don't like um so we we kind of so with, with the conversation so how do I know I ended up so so his office that we kind of got around round wave his office was integrated into this larger human rights whole, with, and the idea, I'm not a, I don't have a PhD in what's going on in Canada, but, uh, I think that the Trudeau government is very passionate about, uh, a, a very liberal agenda that may or may not be digestible to the public. So, and from what I understand, there's a lot of discourse on, the, the both sides within the Trudeau of, of what's going on in, in in Canada right now. So the earth office that, that, that father Bennett was in charge of is a victim of this sort of movements that hap- that I was speaking about from this sort of Miller road, UDHR, um, Eleanor Roosevelt thing to this, to moving way far to the left and saying they need, there's, or international religious freedom is a human is part of human rights, and let's integrate it into this office where these people are going to run it appropriately. But they're not thinking about religion, and then they and they generally will hate religion, mm-hmm. um, so so and look down on people of faith, uh, and and will are looking to sort of take the take the funds and use it for something else. Um, since then, uh, uh, Father Bennett has been involved in the earth movement. Uh, you know, he, he kind of approaches these summits like I do, you know, it, so we want to see old friends and see what's going on and chat around them a little bit. And, uh, and, uh, and he's working, I think um, mostly on his domestic issues. Um, uh, and, and it was interesting to hear some of that because I'm not saying I'm unaware, but you know, how do you, how do you how do you advocate for, for religious freedom and your community and the Catholics are very passionate about who they are, what they're about. Uh, and then from there, try to maintain a a sense of liberalism to, uh, steward your community and, and, and work with all the others within the, 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 the Canadian, the Canadian community, like, you know, when you're working with charities and so forth, so the challenges that uh, uh that father bennett articulates um weren't necessarily new to me but there were there's a lot of specificity and it's it's sometimes you need to turn on your community and and spend time with them. i mean that's what happened with me with covid that's why i'm in new york you know i, I kind of moved my fundraising powers and all that other stuff towards stewarding my community the hudson valley um and making sure that we were secure and healthy here uh but uh you know, it's it it's it was it was a it's it was wonderful to see him and and I could tell that part of the reason why we, we in our previous conversation I, I was like what's going on with you? He was you could tell he was a little bit distressed with some of the work that he's doing, which is good because that's what that's what all of us should be doing <laughs> is me is the charging the hill. Um, but I know what it's like to be in from your in your you know your center your safe haven where you're supposed to be recharging and slugging it out there so i think he's he's dealing with a lot of of nuanced social and political programming that's tough um i was thinking about him yesterday because you know you wanted to talk a little bit about religious persecution you know um what is persecution you were chatting a little bit about that Mm. you and i before the recording And a funny quality of my career is that when someone feels they're persecuted, they end up calling me. So, and and, and a lot of times it's outside fates. And so I got a call yesterday about, apparently there was a, a wedding, an LGBTQ AI let, wedding in St. Patrick's Cathedral, New York City. And a member of the clergy called me and said, uh "You know, I need. Can I can I talk to you?" And I said, "Yeah." So, what's going on? Was well, you know, there's this thing happened at St. Patrick's Cathedral, and I go, "All right, I yeah, I, I heard about it. What's it's the big deal?" And he he's, he 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 said something to me that's been said to me many times. It's like, you know, you're a Muslim, and you know, you deal with persecution all the time, and you know, how do you, you know, deal with your community, you know, in your community, the interfaith component, how do you deal with that? And, it's, you know, I, and, I, and I, and it goes, you know, you, because you're, you know, you've been through this a lot in the Muslim community, you know, no one's been persecuted more than them with, you know, and it's like something that they probably wouldn't say in public, but they say, will come to me and say, well, how do we do this? How do I operationalize, you know, dissent? And I go, well, what, what are you talking about? And he goes, well, you know, I feel like we're, or being religiously persecuted because you know they had this wedding, in uh, or or a ceremony, something in in at St. Patrick's, and uh, and we're not holding fast to our you know our theology and our our identity as Catholics. And I go, well, you know, they get. The, I don't know if it's persecution because your cardinal was was there. I said, where's where's Cardinal Dolan? Wasn't he there? You know what was going on? You know, you have a hierarchy, and you got the. The, the Pope, which is the, um, oh, the
0: uh, friend of... Uh, what, what, I think you were trying to say first among equals. First among equals, well, sorry. I, didn't, I don't think it's technically applicable to the Pope, but... It's not? Okay. No. Um, he's but, the, the 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 primus. He's the primus, okay. So the, Some of it, the, yeah, prime I, pon, the the pontiff. The pontiff, so... <laughs> With the funny comment, or the interesting comment, was he
1: goes, "Well, you know, the Orthodox are really going to love the Orthodox community is going to really love this. The the these Orthodox, the Greek Orthodox, are going to love this because they're just going to get all these all all of our parishioners.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Because right down the road, they said they, they've got this temple and there, so, I don't, you know, I, if that may be true. I don't know if it's persecution. I don't know if it's persecution. I'm I'm trying to, you know, you and I. I'm trying if if you're if your pope says yes and i and i know beige food it doesn't 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 hate me because of this if your pope says that this is what we should be doing and then the cardinals fall in line they you know there's a Catholic hierarchy that goes very very straight down the road there right mm-hmm. although i know that father Bennett is um is roman orthodox i think which is different a different uh, l- lineage so is that, is it Catholic or not Catholic? He's Catholic, but it's a, it's a Ukrainian Orthodox. Okay. All right. So, so it's different. Um, but I just, so I don't know what the command and control structure is. I must, I I got to Um But so it's interesting though, because I would think that that's a direct line from like the, the hierarchy, the chain of command. Um, and, and I, I basically said to my go, it's not, it's not, it's not, you know, you're not a post-Reformation church. You, you know, it's not free for all so you can you know you 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 have a very very strong command and control structure like nothing would happen in saint patrick's cathedral unless it had gotten like signed off on by multiple by the the bureaucracy
0: Mm
1: -hmm. um and you know and i think the pope has sort of like a apocalypse now sort of uh sort of philosophy you know you know it was uh was was a was the commander in the apocalypse now the helicopter commander the the, the air cavalry, um, and he shows, you know later, yeah, let's kill them all let God sort of out. So I think, I think the Pope has the same thing. It's like, you know, LGBTQAI or they want to be faithful. It's great. It's not our problem. God God will judge them.
0: Uh-huh.
1: I think that's kind of how he how he is approaching things now. Yeah. And it's, I think it's very explicit. So I don't know if it's religious persecution for the gentleman to called me and talking about St. Patrick's.
0: Yeah, it's not religious persecution that something is happening, something sanctioned is happening within his parish that he does not approve of, right? You know, what would be religious persecution is if he vocalized his disapproval and was, you know, punished for it in some inappropriate way that could be framed as religious persecution and you could make a case for it. Um, But if the parish you know through all its authoritative channels decides to do something that he disapproves of and and, and feels is not in keeping with the faith then uh, they they have a right to do that and he has a right to uh, to publicly disapprove of it and as long as everyone is able to exercise those rights, those freedoms, then technically, you know, religious freedom stands in that situation, as I understand it. You know, the, the you know I deal with this what
1: is religious persecution a lot, and I Vatican II comes to mind in this specific in this situation. So Vatican II happened, and th- th- one of three things happened to these two different Catholic orders. Either they, they went with they went along with the liberalism, right? Or the orders decided, they wanna know what, we're gonna bunker in and we're gonna go far to the right, mm-hmm. right? Um, or we're gonna just ignore it and hope it goes away. Yep. So the Marist brothers, which I know quite a bit about, uh, decided to bunker in. And so what they ended up doing is, their mission, the Marist, the Marist mission is education. So they stopped going into the public and they basically cloistered themselves yep. and, and they lost a tremendous amount of their brothers because they essentially these guys wanted to just be out in the public educating. They want to be out serving. Mm-hmm. And so when you're not fulfilling that mission, they decided to leave. So in this area, the Hudson Valley, there was, there was multiple, I don't, can't remember what they were called, but there was multiple groups. There was a Southern group and a Northern group. And then the Northern group, they had 220 brothers and it, it ended up going down in, in a year to seven. And then they had to like merge. the the Southern and Northern groups into one group. And if you, now they're elderly, but if you went to uh, most of the high schools, most of the the public schools in the Hudson Valley, you would find that they were ex Maris brothers. There were principals and teachers and stuff. Uh-huh. Mostly the principals, the ones running the schools. Uh and so they they were still fulfilling their mission of education and serving the public and and doing some, but they couldn't do it within the construct of the Catholic Church. But the but it came from on high, right? So they left. Uh-huh. And that had to do with their command and control deciding not to go with Vatican II, and their order deciding to become more conservative and cloister themselves. So, um, you know, and I just like I said, I, I wrote a paper, I just wrote a paper about religious persecution, and 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 I, I I I spoke about it at the uh, the USAID uh Lessons Learned so which was I think about four, four years ago now, and and the idea that. You know we have to really be able to dial in on what group is being attacked hurt or or discriminated against is it because of religion and and there needs to be we need to be much more judicious about that uh, whether it could be ethnicity it could be sexuality it could be a bunch of different things right and then you have the other element of is it a religious group that's actually attacking that which then could be religious persecution because it's a faith group that has an ideology, right? Mm-hmm. That or theology that justifies them. So but if they're not a people of faith, or it's not a faith issue, then we kind of need to get into that. Um you know, I talk about the Hazara a lot, the Hazara traditionally persecuted in Afghanistan because of their ethnicity and their political affiliation to Iran. And but they are Shia, so and she has a, a religious minority in, in, in Afghanistan. So a lot of time when they are persecuted, people say it's because of their faith. And it's not as, it as largely nothing to do with their faith at all. Uh, and so, uh, all right, I would argue, then zero to do with their faith. So it's not a religious freedom issue. But it, in the, the, with Father Bennett, we, we had a really interesting conversation about, the, about Canada and what's going on there and his domestic programming. We spoke, you know, we, we kind of caught up on a lot of stuff, and uh, and it's it was just wonderful to kind of interact and see him uh, at the at the summit. And it was very gracious of him to spend some time. So I was uh, very, very, uh, I was well, was, I was just very gratified that he that he was able to step away and take the time.
0: Yeah, the, that's that's great. I mean, uh, the, what's happening in Canada? Um, seems to be that they're pursuing a very, you could call it, liberal agenda um, with the administration of the country. And there is a definite horseshoe effect where, you know, a, a country that is pursuing a decidedly liberal agenda is going to show a lot of the same qualities as a country that is showing a decidedly conservative agenda um, with somewhat different outcomes, but the same basic expression of. Um, wanting to exert too much control on one side or the other, whereas you know, actual defending of freedom is always a tightrope walk.
1: Well, and, and if you're infringing upon faith communities, which is you know the the, the, the sort of the net result coming out of conversations like you have, you have a faith community that's operating within a structure, uh, and and they have sort of normal operating procedures, right and and so, if the government is infringing upon that, and you're essentially what P- P- Father Bennett was saying is like we, you know, we we have our charities or soup kitchens, we have all these different things, and we're trying to operationalize them, and we're still getting hit with COVID, you know, restrictions, and we're still getting hit with this, we're still getting yeah. So so you, you if we can't, uh, and and he goes, a lot of this is sort of uh, uh, what, what I would call you know asymmetrical warfare. It's about it's about being disruptive with all these different pots of, of activities. And the point is, is it aggregates into, of, uh, we are a community under siege. Yeah. And, uh, because there's a, there's a, there's social elements, but then if you can't run your normal operations and you just want to run a soup kitchen, but you can't, because you're getting hammered out no restrictions. Meanwhile, McDonald's can still sit, can, can operate any way it wants.
0: Right. Yeah. And, and that you have a situation in which the, uh, agenda of the administration may be obfuscated. It's exercising limitations and controls that it shouldn't be under the guise of something else. Right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that's a definite concern. You know. You know. So it was. It was. You know. He, you know. And that
1: happened here. Um, you know, in in, in the Valley during those during the COVID years. So, you know, we were we were so there, there was all these restrictions put on certain things, but not other things.
0: Right. And yeah, I think that. In any given arena, it might have seemed very imbalanced and illogical. And there were whole
1: communities that could do whatever they wanted. Yeah. That was the other thing. So, you know, if you're a faith community, you, you, there was a lot of faith communities that just did whatever they wanted, anyways, um, here. But there were a lot of social communities that were able to do what they wanted mm-hmm. uh, without restrictions. Um, and, uh, and so it, it was, it, it was strange to see that here, but apparently, in Canada, it's, it's been the double down on. Yeah. And, and so I'm, I'm not sure, I mean, someone should do a study, but, uh, it sounds like the, the social credit score, you know, it sounds like that is happening up there, or at least there's like a proto social credit, you know, score that the Chinese are implementing, uh, where if you, if you have, um, certain qualities, there's a certain, there's, there's uh, laws that apply and, imp- and positions that apply, apply to you that don't apply to other people that don't have those same qualities. Right. So I'm speculating a little bit, but it appeared that if you're a person of faith and you're a person within this particular community, then you will be- have these impositions put on you that wouldn't be if you weren't Catholic, for example. Yeah. And so th- that that seems peculiar yeah. um, to me uh, that, that, you know, and like you're... He, was more he took a piece of paper and he said, you know, the right and the left are on either sides, but then he would fold the paper into a circle and say that they, they operate the same way. Exactly. And and so uh, I think that's what's happening up there. And so I'm kind of, we'll have to revisit, I'll have to circle back with with uh, Father Bennett and, and see what's going on and have like a more thoughtful conversation.
0: Yeah. That definitely sounds like a, a good idea for a longer conversation. Okay. okay. Thanks, John. Thank you.